Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Today is Monday, August 3rd, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, 75% of summer campers at a Georgia camp have been diagnosed with COVID-19 and cases across the country continue to rise. Yet Donald Trump says that his experts are wrong for saying we're in a new phase of the pandemic. Show goes to show you he has no clue what the hell he's talking about. The pastor of Friendship West Baptist Church in Dallas, Reverend Freddie Haynes, says his church never approved a back-the-blue rally participants using the church parking lot. He joins us to explain what happened this weekend. Reverend William Barber, leader of the Poor People's Campaign, says it is time for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to do his job. He'll join us. Plus, Congressman John Lewis was very clear about the power of our vote. We'll talk with Senate candidate Reverend Raphael, Raphael Warnock, who, of course, was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church about honoring his legacy. And the Republican Party is being defined by racism. We'll talk with a never-Trump Republican about his new book and how the party became the party of Donald Trump. Speaking of Trump, uh, he was recorded calling a Republican senator to boast about the praise he received on Twitter for saying bases named for Confederate Army officers should not be altered. <laughs> when do y'all hear this audio? Plus, a new batch of anti-Trump ads uh, online. Plus, Kristen Jameson, I posted this video 
It went viral over the weekend of her singing, woo, killed it. She'll join us right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Trump has no clue what the hell he is doing, and the folks who want to see him bounce out of the White House, they'll make it perfectly clear they're going to be aggressive and going after him. Over the weekend, a new batch of online ads making it perfectly clear about the incompetence of this administration was laid to bear. Watch this. I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to go play golf. Believe me, you may ask about the uh, coronavirus, which is very well under control in our country. We all love golf. There are times to play and there are times that you can't play. It sends the wrong signal. When you're president, you sort of say, I'm going to sort of give it up for a couple of years. We're going to lose 75, 80 to 100,000 people. They're running into death. I see that with the doctors and the nurses. It's a beautiful thing to see. Time to grow up, you know, time to wake up. Look at us today. Where we are today, you will be. We are your future. You don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. Coronavirus should not stop citizens from casting their ballots. There is a safe way to vote, and that is to vote by mail. for elections. We need much more so that we can have more vote by mail. I think Democrats have to demand that vote by mail is in the next stimulus bill and make that a condition of supporting the bill. Making it easier for people to vote from home. At the state level, voters should be pushing for their state legislatures and their governors to do this. It has to actually start happening right now. I would not advise someone I love to go sit in a polling place for 10, 12 hours and come into contact with hundreds of people. In the middle of the pandemic, American voters are not going to be forced between their health or voting. When we win on November 8th, 
We will be able to immediately repeal and replace Obamacare. My first day in office, I'm going to ask Congress to put a bill on my desk. I hope we're going to surprise you with a really good plan. You can end up with great health care for a fraction of the price, and that's going to take place immediately after we go in, okay? Immediately. On my first day, you're going to be very proud of what we put forth having to do with health care. I know that we're all going to make a deal on health care. That's such an easy one. Form a really great plan. You've been in office three and a half years. You don't have a plan. Well, we haven't had. Uh, excuse me. You heard me yesterday. We're signing a health care plan within two weeks. A full and complete health care plan. I've been saying this for a long time. What's going on with the debt? It's very disturbing, and it's, it's driven by the three big entitlement programs that are very popular, Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Social Security has nothing to do with the deficit. Social Security is totally funded by the payroll tax levied on employer and employee. That's 70% of what we spend every year. The subject we were just discussing, the funding of the government, is about 30% of what we spend. If you reduce the outgo of Social Security, that money would not go into the general fund to reduce a deficit. It would go into the Social Security Trust Fund. So Social Security has nothing to do with balancing a budget or erasing or lowering the deficit. Don Winslow explains how it really works. To end chain migration. Ending chain migration. Chain migration. Chain migration. Chain migration. At the same time Donald Trump was spewing all this hate, he was using a high-powered lawyer and chain migration to bring his wife Melania's mother, father, and sister to the United States where his money bought their citizenship. Citizenship was just awarded uh, to Victor Namaya. Uh, Here's how it works. At the same time, plagiarizing plastic first lady Melania Trump had kids pulled from their cages for this staged photo op, her family was living lavishly in the United States under permanent resident status. But that's mainly just for rich white people. If you're Mexican, you don't get to live in a fancy New York apartment while you wait. Donald Trump makes you wait in a cage. The world's most successful liar couldn't have his future wife be in the United States illegally, so he spent the big bucks to get Melania an Einstein visa. Don't you think in any way that it's hypocritical that his wife got to stay in the country with an EB-1 visa, the so-called Einstein visa? Not at all, Stephen. I know physics. Now, the EB-1 is reserved for immigrants with extraordinary ability. And when you think of extraordinary ability, you don't exactly think of Melania. But Trump didn't care. He just wanted it done. Meet Michael Wilds, the high-powered lawyer who helped secure U.S. citizenship for Melania Trump and her parents, Victor and Amaya Knopf, and a green card for her sister, Ines. See, when Melania became a citizen in 2006, it gave her the right to sponsor her parents and sisters. Hence the name, Chain Migration. Trump destroyed families and sold a closed border policy to his base while using Chain Migration to bring in his own family. At the same time the Department of Homeland Security were ripping children from their mother's arms and locking them in cages, Melania's family was walking out of court with a personal security escort of Department of Homeland Security officers. Note the patches on the uniform. Donald Trump has one policy for white people and another for brown. I met with the Border Patrol agents and um, they're doing a great job. Okay, stop the music. There are still thousands of children locked up in Trump's border prisons. 
There are children that have not seen their parents in years. How long can Trump keep them in prison? Do they get out when they're 18? Do they spend their entire childhood in a cage? Do they ever get out? Do they ever get out? All right, let's go discuss with our panel, Eugene Craig, CEO, the Eugene Craig Organization, as well as Tiffany Lofton, Director of the NAACP Youth and College Division. Later, we'll be joined by Amisha Cross, political analyst and Democratic strategist. I must say, Eugene, uh, between Lincoln Project, Don Winslow, all these other different groups, what they're laying bare, they're laying bare exactly of the lies of Donald Trump, showing him playing golf, and then that chain migration video was on point because for a guy who complains about chain migration, he did it. Yeah, he did. I mean, he used it to um, you know, get his wife here. He used it to get his wife's family here and God knows who else. Um, you know, but his, uh, you know, his, his slurs against chain migration, um, the way he's characterized it, the way he used it as a fair tactic for uh, white conservatives. Um, you know, it's completely hypocritical to the way that he's used it for his own family. But, you know, these are the type of ads that you have to hit him on. You cannot play presidential politics with Donald Trump. You know, he's not a typical candidate that, oh, my gosh, needs to stay clean and stay about the fray with. No, he's a thug. And if you have a thug, you have to punch him in the mouth. And that, that is the real issue here, Tiffany. Not only that, when you see him complaining about mail-in voting, him and about 20 other people in the White House they voted by mail-in. And so what these ads are meant to show is the hypocrisy. But here's what's very interesting even about that. All these dumb MAGA people, Republicans always led in mail-in balloting, in mail-in voting, absentee balloting. Now these people are going, oh, Don doesn't trust it. Neither do we. Now you got Republicans in states who are like, yo, don't do this. This is how it always helped us. Yeah. And so, so let's be very clear. There is a strategy behind the madness. It's not just madness because he doesn't know what they're what he's doing. I, I am really hoping, Roland, that these videos, that these commercials not only uh, help clarify the reason why folks would make the decisions that they're going to make in the polls on November 3rd, but it is our responsibility as black folks to make sure that we share this with the other black folks in our communities and the other white folks in neighboring communities so that they can understand the hypocrisy and the shame that comes out of the White House. Uh, I I am most concerned that when we get videos like this, those videos are sent to audiences of people who are already on the side of justice, who are already on the side of understanding that politics should not be invaded by private corporation money, and are already on the side of Donald Trump is a racist. And so if we're going to actually move anything with these videos, it's not just uh, us saying, yep, they're right, yep, we understand, yep, know about that, yep, that's unfair, he did it. But making sure that we share that to his base and his audience, that's what's going to upset him and that's what's going to scare and move the election. Well, the the, the thing here, Eugene, is that I don't assume everybody who sees these videos already don't like Donald Trump. I think the way you keep pounding, you keep pounding, you keep pounding, you're reaching people on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok. People are sharing it. And so that's how you counter the nonsense coming from Donald Trump. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. Um, it has to be a constant pounding, a constant reminder. I think the best thing that Donald Trump could have did to help Joe Biden's campaign was threaten the bad TikTok. Um, you want to activate Gen Z, who's already, you know, uh, holding police accountable, holding their creepy family members accountable, holding governments accountable. 
um, you want to make sure they turn out and vote um, and cure their apathy, go ahead and ban TikTok. Please do. Um, because, you know, now they will have personally, at a very young age, been affected by the Donald Trump administration in a way that's very tangible to them. And so you want to make sure they turn up. Well, yes, ban TikTok, ban their way of communicating and watch you see the greatest turnout of young voters ever. And, and that is the key. And because, again, if you have voters out there who are not getting their information, uh, Tiffany, from traditional news outlets, they're not watching NBC, CBS, ABC. They're not watching cable news. I mean, look, I mean, I can tell you right here uh, when we launched this show, September 2018, we did a total of 9.3 million views the first month. Last month, wow. last month we did 30 million views. And so you reach the, the ability to be able to reach a whole different audience. That's really why these these videos these videos are so powerful. And that's what I said earlier. We need to make sure that our responsibility is to share that and move that across our platforms on social media. Let me tell you something. I work at the NAACP with people who are 25 years and younger who are black in this country, and their primary source of news is not MSNBC and CNN and Fox News and ABC and et cetera. They're looking at their phone every single morning and every single day to find out what's happening across the country and to tr uh, follow trusted sources that help them understand the information that's happening so quickly in politics. And so, like, for example, the NAACP Youth and College Division has partnered with Politicking the App. It's a black-owned, nonpartisan voter guide. We're sharing that on social media. And if we're going to continue to educate the voters and the audience of people that you guys are talking about, which are folks in my demographic and Generation Z, we have to share it on social media. And we have to be able to share it with people who are not like-minded with us. All right, folks, let's talk about the growing pandemic. Once again, COVID-19 deaths are rising after weeks of record-breaking new cases and hospitalization. At least 30 states suffered higher rates of new deaths this past week compared to the previous weeks. As of today, there are 4,649,102 confirmed cases of COVID-19. 47,576 of those cases are new. So far, folks, 154,471 people have died from the virus, and 469 of those deaths are new. In Georgia, hundreds of employees in Georgia's largest school district have either tested positive for the virus or have been exposed. We're talking about whether we've entered a new phase in the pandemic. In fact, uh, Dr. Burks has said that Donald Trump is now saying she's wrong, but she's the expert. Joining us right now is Dr. Tyson Bell, critical care and infectious disease specialist at the University of Virginia. Dr. Bell, again, to sit here and to have Dr. Burks over the weekend come out and say, look, we're entering a new phase. She's speaking about facts. Then Trump's Trump is blasting her by saying, oh, she's only saying this because Nancy Pelosi criticized her. And now the White House keeps saying, oh, we, we have all of this stuff because we're doing more testing. In Mississippi, they've shown a decrease in testing, but an increase in cases. Well, Roland, I think you've seen how this White House peddles in untruths um, uh, and inaccuracies and, uh, and try to peddle it as facts. Um, this is uh, not unexpected. I think Dr. Burks was probably hitting her breaking point um, and at some point just had to say, you know, this is not going well and uh, to just level with the American people and say um, what was on her mind, um, that despite several months of into this uh, pandemic, having an example of how to do it correctly, how to do it right with several other countries, even regions of our country, uh, we've still yet to be able to hit our testing marks that we need to, to test, trace and isolate like we need to, get treat like we need to, and ultimately give the American people accurate information that they need from the very top. 
And again, when you see the numbers, when you see what's going on here, um, it, it, it just speaks to what's not happening. And for some reason, these people just refuse to listen to experts who say, look, if we do distancing and we put on masks and we wash our hands and we simply be patient, we can adequately confront this problem. I think, you know, every time we've had a serious uh, medical health crisis, there have been conspiracy theorists and people just making stuff up. The difference this time is that now these people are being elevated by the administration. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising that there's erosion now in our public health trusted experts, our physicians, our epidemiologists, our healthcare workers, when you see, you know, how uh, people are being treated at the top. Um, so, um, we have to keep pushing this message forward and make sure that people understand what they need to do to keep themselves healthy, um, because unfortunately, we're just not getting that consistent messaging from the Trump administration. Well, and again, what this administration is doing is Donald Trump wants to keep lying about this to make it seem as if things are going better than they actually are. I mean, it's undeniable what he's trying to do. Right. He's talking so much about how uh, we're picking up many cases because we're testing. Uh, but that ignores the fact that um, we are not doing the level of testing that we need to do. And we're still seeing that our cases are rising. And we do have a little bit of recent good news that our, our daily cases have started to go down in some of our hotspot states. But if you take a step back and look at us compared to several other countries that have managed to get this pandemic under control. So, for instance, um, several countries in Europe that had a wave in the spring along with New York City over here. But they've uh, managed to keep their pandemic under control, whereas uh, cases are still going up here. Um, if you look at the difference, uh, we have to test about 12 people to get a, a positive case for COVID-19. Um, whereas in Europe and many other countries there, it's every 150 or every 250 tests uh, to get a, a positive case. Uh, so they're testing a wider range of people in order to pick up cases, whereas over here, our tests are going up. And that's an undeniable fact, but our cases are rising faster than our tests are going up. And there's no other explanation for that other than your virus is circulating more widely. It's inexcusable. So, uh, so here we are in August, and now we're going to September. Now we're about to go into the fall. Uh, Donald Trump threw out, oh, no, once the heat comes, this thing is going to burn itself out. No, we're not seeing that. So in about a month or two, we're now about to run up against COVID and flu season. Right. And I'm, I'm very concerned about that. And, you know, Roland, before COVID-19 hit, there was a pandemic that was caused by a virus that caused respiratory illness that impacted African-Americans more so than my white counterparts. And that was influenza. Um, that has always been a big problem in uh, the African-American community. Um, insane comorbidities and, uh, insane problems that we have on top of COVID-19. And now that we're going into this season, uh, we're, we're thinking about opening colleges up more um, in, uh, in schools, uh, people moving around more. We are not in a position to do this to the level that we're, um, that, you know, we're, we're planning on at this point. So moving forward, what do you say to the folks who are watching? What do you say that we should be saying to our family members and to our friends and our church members and fraternity and brothers and sisters in terms of dealing with this? Because, look, I see these white folks out here acting the fool when it comes to masks and stuff like that. But it's a lot of black folks who are hard headed, who are still having get togethers, uh, who are still, uh, you know, uh, not social distancing. And we're still being affected. I just saw a story today of a 17 year old kid. Both of his parents have died from COVID-19. They died within 19 days. A brother out of, out of, out of uh, Atlanta. 
I think we have to keep reinforcing these messages. And if it's not going to come from the top, then it comes from our community, our trusted leaders, the people that uh, we rely on for accurate information. So that would be clergy, trusted public health officials, in addition to the medical community. Um, because we're not getting consistent messaging from the top, you know, we have to carry that burden. But, you know, Roland, um, progress has been on the backs of African-Americans from the beginning. So I think we can unite and get this message together, but it's going to be on us. All right, Dr. Tyson Bell, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Tiffany Lawton, look, it's going, to re it's going to require our organizations. It's going to require us pushing, pushing people to get them to understand that, look, stop thinking all is well, because the issue isn't just, put the graphic back up, folks. The issue is not just the deaths. And that's, I think, part of the problem here. Dr. Ebony Hilton has been telling us this here. You see that 154,000 folks have died. The issue, though, the people who are surviving are still having serious health issues, uh, Tiffany. That cannot be overlooked. Yeah, it can't be overlooked, uh, Roland. And also, we have to set a better example. To, to the doctor's point earlier, uh, we are the ones that can save ourselves and not listen to the leaders who clearly have not had a plan and who do not care about our health, well-being, and survival. Uh, the NAACP has made sure that we continue to cancel all in-person meetings. Uh, our virtual convention is not happening in person. We're not showing up in person to the March on Washington. We're having the march online virtually because we have to lead by example. I saw a really funny uh, meme on Instagram that said, just because you're tired of the pandemic does not mean that it's over. <laughs> and I think that everybody <laughs> is tired, rightfully so. This has been happening. I've been in the house since March 11th. This is my house. I've been in the house since March 11th. We're tired of this, but that, but what and, and we know, right we know you hate being at the house. All the traveling you do. I mean, we know you can't I, stand being at the house. I, I had to call my airlines and I had to say, wait a minute, is my status gonna stay the same between now and 2021? Because this does not count. 2020 has been canceled. Um, and so, and so, I, I really want us to do a better job of um, communicating to our audiences. Uh, not just, not your audience, but like our audiences, our people and our communities to let them know that this is not over and that if we don't take it seriously, the folks who have the cases, the 4 million who have it, they're still going to be outside if they do get better and if they, they do still have it, they're going to pass it on to other people. And it's sad that we are losing loved ones and folks who should still be here because of our lack of discipline. But I really hope that we can get this done sooner than possible because I'm trying to be outside before my next birthday next year. Uh, Misha Cross joins us right now. Amisha, uh, to Tiffany's point, uh, I'm Vice President Digital, lifetime member of the National Association of Black Journalists. Our virtual convention starts uh, on Wednesday. And the reality is we have to just keep, I just think we got to just keep hammering to our people, look, protect yourself at all costs because folks are taking way too many chances when it comes to COVID-19. Roland, because at the end of the day, what we have seen is so many people who have become lax, not only with not wearing masks, but also with going to places in large groups. Um, I drove past an area yesterday in Atlanta where there were literally a line of at least 150 people trying to get into this spot that I think was a nightclub or a lounge of some sort. I, I think that there are people who just really aren't taking COVID-19 seriously, especially those of younger ages. And the more we hear about these tests, these positive test cases and the fact that states are willy-nilly with some cities deciding that they're going to be a little bit more regulatory than others, that's not necessarily helping either. Because the fact is, COVID-19 is here, and it looks like it's here to stay, at least for a while. So we have to prepare now so that we can all be out and 
you know, in the streets and being able to do the things that we used to do sooner rather than later. But right now, we all are kind of in this together, and we need to take as many precautions as possible. All right. Uh, and Eugene, again, knowledge is power, mm -hmm. information is power. And at the end of the day, I just tell everybody, whatever Donald Trump says or his administration says, ignore it. If it's coming from Fauci, listen. Mm -hmm. But the rest of those fools, just ignore them. It's great advice. I agree 100% with you. Look, the only thing we know actually works against this virus is a mask and social distancing. Um, everything else we're still figuring out. Vaccine we're figuring out, treatments we're figuring out. But the one thing we know works is wearing a mask and socially distancing. All right, folks. Let's go to our next story. Over the weekend, uh, there was a huge controversy that took place when there was this Blue Lives Matter protests they assemble around a thousand vehicles or so and they travel all throughout dallas well they decided when they got to south dallas this caravan decided to just stop and hang out in the parking lot of friendship west baptist church now i know it well because i'm a former member of friendship west baptist church but what's interesting is that at the church there's a massive black lives matter sign mm -hmm. well once that became known black folks in dallas said oh no reverend, reverend frederick haynes uh showed up at the lot media was called out and that led to an impromptu rally watch this friendship west family we need you to be made aware that there was a blue lives protest or rally that happened on our grounds this was not approved by the pastor of this church. Friendship West did not approve of this at all. We will be releasing a statement later on in the day, but this was not approved by Friendship West, and we need you all to know that this was not approved by Friendship West. Any media outlets saying so, that is not the case at all. Now, one of the organizers of the rally, he did apologize on the social media. What happened at Friendship West is not what I wanted to happen. I, I'm sorry uh, that there is conflict. That is not my heart. That's not what I, I'm about. We had told everyone this is not a political event, so no, no Trump flags, no Biden flags. It's not about division. It's not about anything other than coming together as one. Senior pastor of Friendship West Baptist Church, Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglas Haynes III. Pastor, how you doing? Roland Martin, I'm enraged, uh, at the same time excited that somehow something good is going to come out of this. But uh, yesterday uh, began on a very bad note. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm on vacation, Roland. And to be honest with you, I was watching our live streaming service and my phone started blowing up with members who were irate, upset, angered, uh, because they saw on our property what they called a Klan rally, a white, a gathering of white supremacists. They had Confederate flags, they had Trump flags, and they had gathered in an act of intimidation on sacred space known as the Black Church. And for so, what? So wait, wait, hold up. They pulled into the church parking lot while church was going on? 
no church services had just ended. So, you know, we stream our service. Right, right. So the stream service had just ended. And when the service ended, that's when those who were there told me they heard all kinds of noise outside and they came out to witness, you know, this mass entrance of, you know, muscle cars and and motorcycles and all of them had flags of one kind or another, including, again, Trump flags and Confederate flags. And that organizer who puts this thing out apologizing, first of all, has he contacted you directly to apologize? One of the organizers has, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say this, the, a, a few of the persons who were a part of uh, the caravan said they had no idea that they were going to come to our church. They said when they saw the Black Lives Matter sign, that let them know that they should not have come there. And so there were those in the caravan who feel that they were misled by the organizers of the caravan. And at the same time, Roland, uh, I have documentation uh, because there were some who said they were coming to that side of town to shut down Friendship West. See, what, what was, was interesting about this, again, for, for folks who, who don't understand, initially uh, what they tried to suggest is that uh, they stopped... Uh, to rest. Yeah, real funny, real funny. As a matter of fact, and 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 let, let me give you the uh, the whole story here because the whole story is the Dodge Ram Club had asked to use our parking lot as a pit stop with just thirty vehicles. They they said all they needed were thirty vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so the 30 vehicles somehow became a thousand with some 3000 people. So that lets you know that not only did they deceive us, but they deceived some of the people that were with them. And again, it was a it was it was it was an act of intimidation. Um, Henry, go to my iPad. I just want to give people understanding. Uh, this is a Google Earth shot right here of the friendship uh, West Campus. Uh, you see the freeway just to the right there. Uh, you see uh, the ma the massive parking lot uh, th that's there as well. But this whole idea, first of all, of a traveling caravan, apparently, what, a thousand some odd vehicles. First of all, if you're driving, why do you need to rest? I mean, you just, if the whole point is to have a driving caravan, you keep driving. No. No, I'm not buying this whole nonsense that it wasn't uh, to sort of let their presence be felt at a church that has a massive banner on the side of it that says Black Lives Matter. Thank you. And Roland, you know Dallas. If they wanted to choose a church parking lot, we got seven other mega churches within a five-mile radius of Friendship West. They didn't right. use those churches. You know Dallas, Roland, if they were not trying to intimidate a church, then why not go to Redbird Mall? Redbird Mall has a big parking lot. No one was in it, but they decided to come to a church, as you have rightly pointed out, that has a huge Black Lives Matter sign hanging on the side of it, and all of the attacks we have received from the vicious racists in social media since that time, they've attacked our Black Lives Matter 
theology, our Black Lives Matter uh, connection, our Black Lives Matter partnership, because again, we're in partnership with the movement that is standing against racial injustice, police misconduct, and police brutality. Well, I, I just want to show y'all, again, go back, to Henry, if you can, go to my iPad. So y'all see here at the top, you see that red dot, that's Friendship West Baptist Church. But if you go right here, this right here, and again, I don't know, I haven't, haven't because of COVID, I have not been home for a while. I don't know if the people um, at Full Gospel Holy Temple Church, if they have a Black Lives oh, Matter yeah. sign, but y'all, this massive parking lot right here is down the street from Friendship West. So I, I just want y'all to see again. You see right there, top up there is the red, that right down the street. It's full guy. They didn't stop in that parking lot. Nope. I'm just saying. And then if I really want to, if I really want to go here, if you want to go there, I can pull up, y'all, right here. Not far from Friendship West is Ibach, Reverend Ricky Rush, inspired body of Christ. If you need to rest in the parking lot. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, uh, who don't understand, yeah, uh, we know those games there. Uh, th 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 what we're dealing with here, what we're dealing with here is these folks are afraid, and this is the real deal, Pastor Haynes. They are afraid that not only are black folks motivated with Black Lives Matter, there's a consciousness of white folks who are aligning with African-Americans on this issue, and that is what's driving them crazy. It's driving them crazy, Roland. As a matter of fact, yesterday, when we were able to finally get them off of our parking lot, not only did the hood come to the church, but on top of that, you should have seen the white people who came to the church expressing their solidarity, expressing the fact that they are sick and tired of racial injustice themselves. And of course, that sets at ill at ease, those who find themselves having a hard time now with the fact that there's a reckoning going on, this thing is ready to change, and they're having a hard time. And so as a consequence, they even see their fellow whites who are allies of the Black Lives Matter movement now as enemies of them because of the fact that, again, a new day is coming. And they're not fooling anybody by waving their Trump flags and their Confederate flags. Not fooling anybody. Again, it was a Klan rally on the parking lot of a church that proudly exclaims Black Lives Matter. All right, Reverend Freddie Haynes. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. Enjoy the vacation. Thank you, sir. All right, then. Let's go back to my panel here. Tiffany, this is what I keep telling everybody. They better understand. I said this in 2009. White fear. This white fear that's going on and you're seeing it with this here you're seeing how they're reacting and how they're responding and they don't want accountability they don't want uh, uh folks to have to demand pressure this whole deal no 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 we just showing support for police but hell it's some black cops out here who are talking about the kind of crap that they're seeing uh in these departments Listen, we're seeing a few things. Right supremacy, when it starts to realize that it's losing its power, there is a huge backlash. 
And this is an example of what that looks like. And I am hoping and praying for the safety of the folks at that church and that this does not happen again to say a rebuttal. But Roland, I want to talk about that apology for two seconds. I am disgusted with the apology. First of all, to say that you are sorry because you pulled up in somebody else's parking lot, it might be excusable because he is a white man. But we have watched countless times this year with young protesters who have gone out into the streets who are nonviolent, who have been pepper sprayed, maced, pushed, assaulted, kidnapped, arrested, the list goes on, and they did not have the uh, privilege of being able to say that they were sorry for staying out past curfew, that they are sorry that they were out, out protesting. So, so for him to apologize for that and get away with it is disgusting. Secondarily, he also said this was not a political event. I'm sorry, but when did black, blue lives not become political? I am trying to understand when we say black lives matter, it is the skin that we are in that we cannot take off. Blue lives is not real. A police officer is a, uh, is a job. It is a job description. It is an occupation. It is not a life. It is a job. It is a profession. And so for him to say this is not political is also really disgusting because you do not get to decide that blue lives is not political when you are showing up in opposition to talking about a community's humanity and their safety. And the last thing is this. I am also really disgusted with uh, your point earlier, Roland, about them taking arrests while they were driving. Who does that? When, when, when we're protesting, I'm an organizer. That's what I do at the NAACP. I organize people, and I have successfully worked with young people across the country who have put, over, put on over a dozen marches with 3,500 people in Fresno, in uh, Langston, in, in, in Michigan, in uh, Louisiana, in Texas, in Florida. And my students are smarter than the organizers who put on this entire rally with the uh, cards to know that they would stop inside of a church. So I'm really confused as to who the organizers are. They need to do more than apologize. They need to go ahead and donate to the church. And they need to never have a rally like that ever again. It was clearly an attack on that specific church because of the sign of Black Lives Matter outside of their building. Lamisha, it's all about intimidation. Black churches have seen this for decades. But they better understand, today's black church ain't the old black church. Absolutely agree with you and Tiffany. What we're seeing here is um, is an accosting of the church itself. They chose a church primarily because of the insignia that was on the front, because they don't believe in Black Lives Matter, because they don't support Black liberation, because they don't support Black civil rights. And they chose that area to basically unleash their heightened level of intimidation, which, as, as you know, has been a white supremacist move for generations. They have always attacked churches. They have always used the church as target number one. So I'm not necessarily surprised. I think that they organized into doing exactly what they wanted to do. What they didn't count on was the church's response and the fact that they are basically getting harangued in the media and people are talking about this and they're getting called out. I think that there was a time in American history where you could do this to a black church and nary hear a word about it. That time has passed. There are a lot of people, black, white, brown, and otherwise, who do support the Black Lives Matter movement, who are out here to be allies. And this type of thing just isn't going to fly. Eugene. Listen, the thing is this, all right? Um, it's very clear that they decided to target this particular church. Um, the second fact is that there was no Blue Lives Matter until there was a Black Lives Matter. And if these organizers aren't smart enough or too dumb to understand that Blue Lives Matter is a retort to Black Lives Matter, then, you know, they need to, you know, find a nice bridge they can jump off of. 
the first one, the third point I want to make is that the one thing that I did think is the good thing that came out of this is that the hood came out to protect the church and, you know, white activists came out to protect the church. And being that this is Texas, I think that it may be right about time that some black gun groups come out and protect the church. But I think, you know, if, if the good old Second Amendment was put in, was in use there, saying white people like these to protect their spaces, um, they might have thought twice about uh, pulling up with their Blue Lives Matter flags and their pickup trucks. All right, then, folks. Uh, earlier this evening, the Poor People's Campaign launched a Moral Monday digital march to stop Mitch McConnell's misery, meanness, and mayhem. We live streamed that, got about 165,000 views on our platform. Uh, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, of course, leader of the Poor People's Campaign, tweeted McConnell is too comfortable with the thousands of deaths and untold suffering from the pandemics of COVID 19, systemic racism, and poverty. In this urgent crisis of leadership, we must come together to demand a full and just relief package that lives from the bottom. Now, the folks at the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees, they've also launched a campaign to put pressure on Mitch McConnell. Watch this. The coronavirus is wrecking state and local budgets. If the Senate doesn't act, it will mean painful cuts to essential public services across America. Fewer teachers and nurses, longer response times, dirtier streets. But some say our states should just go bankrupt. Text FUND to 237-263 to tell Congress to fund our essential public services. AFSCME is responsible for the content of this ad. And, of course, AFSCME is also a partner here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Joining me right now is Reverend Dr. William Barber. Dr. Barber, always a pleasure to have you here. Bottom line is this here. Uh, and while you're talking, we got you on the phone. While you're talking, I'm going to roll some of the video from earlier from the live stream. Bottom line is this here. What did you, what did you want to achieve with uh, today's action uh, targeting Mitch McConnell? Well, first of all, thank you, Roland. Thank you so much. You know, we have to triangulate people. We have to have targets. And one of the things that has happened in all of this is Trump is getting all the attention. McConnell has not been getting attention, and McConnell is doing more damage in some ways than Trump because of what he's holding back and because of what he's passing. That cannot happen. Not only in this election must we have a transformation at the top, we've got to have a real transformation of the Senate. And that's why I asked me, my brother, President Lee Saunders, and I, and the Poor People's Campaign, we're together. Because see, they've been trying to play this other game. They're saying, okay, we may do something for state and municipal workers, but we're not going to do anything for unemployed workers. And they're trying to pit And we say, uh-uh, that's not going to work. Mitch McConnell's policy is legislative evil. Let's hear me on this. We had folk on Kentucky that laid it out. Mitch McConnell is dangerous and has been dangerous. Mitch McConnell has held up fixing the Voting Rights Act for over seven years. Mitch McConnell is, because of what he has done, is the reason we don't have universal health care and the reason people are dying. Mitch McConnell has refused to deal with living wages. And what he just did, but now understand how powerful this man is technically. Uh, Roland, and we've talked about this. When the corporation said they wanted three, four trillion dollars, they got everything they wanted. It was, but he made sure that the first three bills gave 83% of all the money to banks and corporations. That's McConnell's work. He's the one stacking these courthouse, uh, uh, federal courts with people who don't even believe that Brown versus Board of Education is settled law. And as of Saturday, 30, uh, 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 as of Saturday, when we look at this, 30 million plus workers who were receiving $600 a week were cut off. 50 million people have applied for unemployment. 27 million people have lost their insurance, added to the 87 million people 
uh, that already were underinsured or uninsured. That's 114 million people. This is directly a result of Mitch McConnell. 10 to 20 million people are at risk of being homeless. Uh, 50 million people and families are going hungry and will go hungry. And, and he told us what he was going to do from the beginning. He said, I'm not going to pass anything unless it guarantees legal immunity to corporations who hire workers in unsafe conditions. If they are not protected from being sued, I'm not going to pass anything. And, and what he's also negotiating for, finally, he wants $250 billion more billion of tax cuts in this bill to the wealthy. He wants $28 billion for the military they haven't even asked for. And we know now, Roland, that wealthy, greedy folk have made $755 billion off of this pandemic. So as my good friend, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright says, the pandemic has exposed the pandemonic. And so what we're doing is we're going straight. We can't be in the street right now. They're going this, well, we can't get in the offices. We put 156, almost 200-some thousand people came on and shut down those phone lines. We're going to be calling them. We're going to be jamming them. We're even going to mail him Bibles and constitutions because he doesn't need evidence, doesn't know what is neither one of them. But we are no longer going to let Mitch get a pass while Trump is acting out and Mitch is hiding, hiding under his skirt tail. No more. No more. Well, no more. Well, what's crazy to me is that when you look at what they're trying to do, all right, the Trump White House wants to shove... Uh, a couple of billion in the bill to, for a new FBI headquarters. You've mm -hmm. got, uh, mm -hmm. you've got again. They want these tax cuts. First of all, why are you giving more money to the military? Two occasions, and mm -hmm. since Trump has been president, the seven hundred billion dollar bill that John McCain pushed, and then there was another allocation. I mean, That's Jesus. Right. I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I get a strong defense, but. The military needs more money right now when, I'm, when you have 40 million Americans impacted by unemployment because of coronavirus? Now, a few weeks ago, there was a move to ask for 10% of that military budget, $800 billion. Now, understand what that means. This is a real number. If you cut our military budget in half to $350 billion a year, or let's say $400 billion a year, we would still have more money in our military budget than China, North Korea, Iran, Iraq, and Russia combined. Combined. What we have is a military-industrial complex, and because of that, we put 54 cents of every discretionary dollar into the military budget and less than 16 cents of every discretionary dollar into education, health care, and wages and infrastructure. They couldn't get but 90 votes a few weeks ago. Mitch now wants to add more money, right, because he makes sure his corporate donors uh, uh, get paid for while we are dying, while the country is under siege. No, it doesn't make any sense, but it's also deadly. And this is where we're going to have to go with this. Now, I want to say something on your show, because we talk all the time. I believe in all my heart that we have got to get in this. we got to do everything we can when a cop shoots a black man, and especially a woman, and when it's on camera. And, and that is a form of police violence. But we cannot let this society think... Uh, uh, believe that only police violence is the only kind of racism that kills. Mm -hmm. We cannot let them think that, they, that, that that's the only violence that's going to get us moving, right, and get us in the street or get us uh, mad or get us organized. Because I did some numbers this weekend real quick. 700 people die a day from poverty even before COVID. That's one person every 2.5 minutes that dies from poverty and low wealth. 61% of black people are poor and low wealth. 
So that means we are dying every two minutes at phenomenal numbers, and that policy violence against the poor is lynching and strangling black people just like the cops that shoot unarmed black people. And in fact, in raw numbers, more people die from policy violence. If, if there are 30 million uninsured people in this country. 15 million of them are poor, are people of color. 5,600 people die every year from the lack of health insurance. That's one, that's one million people, excuse me, 5,600 people die for every one million uninsured. That means, Roland, that every 6.25 minutes, a person of color dies from the lack of health care. And Mitch McConnell blocks health care. So he is just as guilty of our folk dying as, some, as a cop that gets filmed on camera. We just don't see the results of it on camera. And we're going to have to make sure that that connection is made. If we're talking about a real reckoning in this country, it, yes, has to be around a reconstruction around police violence and racism, but it's also got to be with all this other form of pol pol policy violence that is killing our people unnecessarily. And this is also where you, you make the point, the millions of poor people who have not been voting, they can actually not only make the difference, they could, if they vote with their numbers, they could absolutely, as I'll keep saying that in the movie Remember the Titans, when, when my man said, uh, Herman, leave no doubt. Leave no doubt. Leave no doubt. Roland, you and I have been talking about this, and this is why we're, we're going to be more Monday for a while just on Mitch McConnell, because we got to get people to see this. Listen, we got a report coming out next week. I can't talk about all of it, but I can talk some of it. That report is going to show, that we're working with Columbia University and some others, that if 37% of poor and low-wealth people, black, white, and otherwise, organize around an agenda, I'm not talking about voting for a personality. I'm talking about voting your agenda voting in the personality that's closest to your agenda, and then after the election, making them do your agenda. That's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. 37%. If we just voted at the same level that higher-income people voted, could change every election in this country, including the presidency and Senate. 50, in some states, 10% of poor and low-wealth people coming together. We're organizing them now, black and white and brown. 10% would leave no doubt. There would be no room. There wouldn't be like a, just a little 0.5% victory or 1%. But no, in every state, in the three states that Trump's so-called won, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, he won by, what, uh, 79,000 votes. We've done the numbers. 2.1 million poor and low-income people in those areas that did not vote. 2.1 million. If you just had 10% of that, 220 million, you outdistance his victory in those three states by 130,000 votes. Doc, it's time to go surgical on this stuff. And that's why we're, we're, we're narrowing the focus. Everybody's mad with Trump. Okay, good. We know that. Now we got to also narrow it and say, you cannot be upset about what Trump has done. You cannot be upset about what the cop did in, in Minnesota and then in Atlanta and all that. You've got to be upset. God knows I am. But if you're upset about the deaths that come out of that, You've got to look at Mitch McConnell and this Senate and all of the death and the deadliness and the mayhem that's coming out of these violent public policies. And lastly, Roland, this man alone, nobody else, has sat on fixing the Voting Rights Act for seven years plus, seven years and two months. 
Think about that now. Strom Thurmond only filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1957 for one day, and we called him a stone racist. McConnell has refused to fix the Voting Rights Act for seven years and almost two months, over 2,590-plus days. We cannot just, we cannot, and he's quiet, and he's cool with it, and he doesn't make a lot of noise, and he doesn't say stupid stuff like, like, like Trump, even though we put out a video that they roll it, where in a back room where he thought nobody was filming him, he said, I am the Grim Reaper. Mm. You don't have to worry about health care. You don't have to worry about living wages and voting rights. He pointed to himself and say, I am the Grim Reaper. But he wouldn't dare say stuff like that in public because he's too smart for that. See, he's not Trump. We got to make sure that we understand, yes, going after racist police departments, yes, dealing with Trump, but we also got to deal with McConnell and deal with this Senate. And that's why today we had an old-style sit-in. We called it a call-in. We used New Jack City technology. We <laughs> pumped 100,000 calls into that office, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep mobilizing people because, Doc, if we won't change, let's have it for real all the way. Well, and we stand with you on that, so we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, you, Doc. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. Let's go back to my panel here. Uh, Tiffany, uh, you talked about being an organizer. I mean, obviously, we're operating now in a different world. And the, the old way of, and it's happening in some places, but the reality is you're not going to see massive door knocking. You're not going to see the walking of blocks. You're not going to see, you know, the voter registration information at big events like Essence or these different conferences or whatever. And so this is, this is the moment for all these folks who, who think tweeting is voting to understand this is the moment when you stop with these bullshit TikTok videos and Instagram videos and this challenge and posting this on Facebook, this is the way you change by now being able to use these digital platforms and social media to move to people agendas. to register to vote and yes, to drive agendas. That's right, to drive agendas. First of all, shout out to my leader, Reverend Barber, who uh, is an honorary board member for the NAACP uh, and leader of mine, who I've known for a very long time. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud and excited about the movement that he has continued to lead and the work that he's doing. I, I agree with you, Roland, 100%. And so speaking of being an organizer, uh, we know, like you said, not only can we not do the things that we used to do because we can't go outside in person, but a lot of times, young people's biggest platform or vehicle to register to vote and become civically engaged is at their schools and their campuses. And we know how that's going. That's either not going to open at all, or it's going to open back up in phases, or it's going to be digital. And so we're also looking at the entire generation of young people who are turning 18 this year for the very first time, and the young folks who typically fill out their registration ballot on campus, vote on campus, and then think that they're done. We have to use these digital platforms so that we can engage these young people. And I'm going to make an extra push. The work that the Youth and College Division is doing at the NAACP is focused on making sure that we prep and talk to communities and parents to have these conversations with young people so that they can understand their agency and power. It is so necessary that we take these conversations inside our own families, inside our own homes, at the dinner table, since we got to do that now, 
uh, and make sure that we take the information online and we're able to have conversations that unpack it. Secondarily, we've partnered with Vote.org, national uh, nonpartisan voter registration app. It's super easy. Yep. If and, 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 in fact, I got it on the screen right now. Keep going. Hey, look at that. Baby, I got, I got, I got this. I got you. I got you. Well, what I, happens is Vote.org. <laughs> so Vote.org right here. Let me tell you something. First of all, this is black owned. One. Two. Um, or excuse me, the CEO was a black woman. And so two, you can go to this site right now and do two important things. One, I want you to check your status. If you check your status on this site, which I have done, it'll let you know two things. One, where you have registered and if you are registered indeed. We saw last year that folks were uh, uh, registering to vote and then their voter pledge cards got purged because their last names weren't spelled the same as their uh, light bill or their ID was not the same as their last name. And so so we want you to check your status. Also, we've watched across the country because of the pandemic, voting precincts have closed. And so this will actually tell you if your precinct has closed that you're usually going to. If you go to a, a park or if you go to a school to register to vote or to, excuse me, to cast your ballot, it might be closed because of the pandemic. You need to check. So check your status on vote.org. And secondly, you, if you are not registered, vote.org makes it super simple. You can register at vote.org. You can print out at home the actual voter registration card and drop it in the mail. Super simple, contactless. You don't have to touch nobody. You ain't got to talk to nobody. You can do it right here on the, on the uh, website. Also, you can vote by mail and all the other options that are there. Here's what I did, because I actually use this. I also signed up for the messages and alerts so that I can get the latest information and I can get my nonpartisan voter guide. So we partnered with Vote.org and Politicking, uh, the app, which is both on Instagram, both on the Internet, both on a website, both easily on your phone. And here's what I want folks to do. Once you do the things for yourself, I want you to send that link to 10 other people. Hey, did you check your status? Hey, do you know if you registered to vote? Hey, have you looked up your voter guide yet? Do you know what initiatives are on the ballot? Have you looked up the candidates, et cetera? We are our own organizers now, and we have to do this in relationship with each other. That's the only way that we're going to change this country. Um, bottom line, Eugene, I keep saying this. Uh, you see it right now where Donald Trump uh, is going to, uh, you see the slowdown, the deliberate slowdown, the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, you see what's going on there. You see the games that they're playing. We cannot trust him at all. They will do, let's be clear, Republicans will do whatever they can to steal this election. We must leave no doubt. I agree 100%. Look, this, elections are about power. And fight for power, you know, they're, they're blessed for their zero-sum games. You leave nothing on the field of battle. You literally give it your all. And that's what Democrats, that's what independents, those are good-minded Republicans have to go into this election thinking. You have to give it your all. That's what it's going to take to beat Donald Trump. They will literally still kill and destroy to take this election to maintain power. Because for Mitch McConnell, for you know, Paul Ryan at the time, for Mike Pence, for Donald Trump, it is about power. It's about, hey, we can detain kids at the border. It's about, hey, you know, we can you know, militize police forces and, and deputize them to roll out our agenda. We can't do it ourselves. I mean, it literally comes down to power, and that's what people have to be reminded of for the next 91 days. Uh, Amisha, again, when you look at their plans, they already, the Republican National Committee wants to send 50,000 people to the polls to basically watch, but they're really going to be targeting people. We have to understand, look, they are going to try it. They're going to do everything. Uh, you already have experts saying that, yes, Russia is trying to impact the 2020 election. Ain't no hoax. It's real. And Donald Trump has no problem with them helping him win again. 
He doesn't. And to be honest, Roland, Trump doesn't need foreign intervention. What Trump is doing and what the Republicans have been doing for years is creating a roadmap of how to steal elections from mail-in voting and trying to reduce the level of efficiency that exists within that system, as well as people actually believing in it to begin with, um, appointing somebody to lead the Postal Service who he knows is going to make sure that your mail gets to you slower, that you know a lot of the Postal Service uh, offices are closing, you know, they're budget issues associated with it, and he's trying to chop it as much as he can leading up to election day, in addition to not having enough poll workers, in addition to a lot of polling places closing. There are so many things that are lining up in his favor and things that him and the Republicans have also, you know, worked within, you know, within, within their own willpower to make sure happens that I think that we as Democrats and Democrats as a whole cannot just sit back and wait and watch. Yes, this is a turnout race. And yes, I agree with that, Tiffany, 100%. My first election I voted in, I voted on a college campus as well. It matters that people recognize that that is for young people, typically where you register and where you vote for the very first time. So when we're moving away from that and acknowledging that young people, yes, are tweeting, they're hashtagging, they're doing their TikToks, but they also really want to be involved in this election. And it's our job to make sure that that's easier for them. There was a report that came out just two days ago showing that there's a huge access gap between young people and mail-in voting. As much as we would like to believe that mail-in voting is a be-all to end-all in this great way that everybody can jump into and do, what we know is that there are several obstacles to mail-in voting. And we have to make sure that we diminish those as well. November is just around the corner, and there's just so much work left to be done. So I'm thankful for organizations like the NAACP, like the ACLU, like HBCUs across this country, and like this show, Roland, that are actually out <laughs> here to provide that information and make people feel empowered, because everything is going to happen. The rubber beats the road in November, and people have to be ready. Well, here's the deal. We are hitting this every single day. We're not letting a single day uh, go by. And so I, I can tell you uh, it's exactly what we're doing. And so we're going to keep that thing going. All right, got to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, who's also running for the United States Senate. Wow, all these people are so upset. They said the Congressman John Lewis's funeral was too political. You do know he's a politician, right? That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, before I go to him, uh, uh, Trish Mays asked, uh, can you inform me if I don't get my mail-in ballot, can I still vote in person? Uh, the answer is yes, but I want people, if you're going to request a mail-in ballot, it's, it, there are three steps that I want us to do. The first thing is I want you to request your mail-in ballot now. Don't wait. Request it now. Go to vote.org. If you go to vote.org, as Tiffany said, uh, Henry, go ahead and show it. It says here you can check registration, register to vote, vote by mail, get election reminders. And so when you click vote by mail, what it's going to do is it's going to take you to you put your information in and then it's going to take you to your state's uh, register, uh, website and which will then determine whether or not uh, how, how, what that particular process is. But let's say you still want to vote in person. Vote 
the first week of early voting. We cannot procrastinate and wait and wait and wait. But if you want to vote on election day, fine. But if we if you don't want to trust the mail-in balloting, you want to vote in person, vote that first week of early voting and get it done. Now, folks, it's very interesting. <laughs> All leave folk upset. Because they said that the funeral of John Lewis just got way too, uh, it was just too political. L listen to Alveda King, who is the, uh, who is the niece of uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, listen to her on Fox News. Y'all play. Well, I guess we should have expected that the left, including President Obama, would take that occasion for a political moment. They'll grab at any opportunity. That's to be understood. I've chosen not to politicize the death of Congressman Lewis, but to remember him as a peaceful, nonviolent warrior and encourage everyone to resolve our conflicts peacefully. However, President Obama, with wordplay, took us back to the 1960s, and that was a time when segregation was still on the books, segregation was still legal, and those in, in power were trying, some of them were trying to enforce that and keep that. Today, when the National Guard goes in, sent by the president, for example, or the state troopers, they're trying to protect the people of America in every community and to save lives and protect people. There is a totally distinct difference. Also, implying without calling any names, he was very clever not to call any names, saying that there was an effort to undermine the voting process. You know, actually, President Trump is saying, people, please pay attention. We do want you to vote. Use your absentee ballots. Go to the polls. He has even encouraged, you know, people to be poll watchers and poll workers and that kind of things. President Trump is not trying to suppress the vote. As a matter of fact, you can see in my community, I'm telling everybody, make sure you vote, register to vote, pastors and leaders, encourage your people to vote. We do want people to vote safely, and we need the voting process to be fair. And so to politicize the funeral of a peaceful warrior, I mean, I guess they grabbed at an opportunity to be political. Also, really quickly, uh, Raphael Warnock, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, quoted Isaiah 53, which says that Jesus died to protect us, and by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. He said that by John Lewis's wounds, we were healed. I was like, oh, my God, you have taken Isaiah 53 and applied it to John Lewis. What a disservice. That was just terrible. Dr. King. Let me just go ahead and just say it right now before I bring on Reverend Raphael Warnock. That was the stupidest commentary I've ever heard. Alveda King, you should be ashamed of yourself. How? First of all, let's just be real clear, Alveda King. And I've met you, and you are trading on the name of King to get on Fox News. Let's just go ahead and call it what it is. The only reason you on there is because you the niece of Dr. King. Let's just cut to the chase. But the reason that's the dumbest commentary is how can you sit here and say, oh, I just wanted to remember uh, John Lewis as a peaceful, nonviolent warrior. What was he a warrior for? Black people and voting. 
Who almost got killed on Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday that led to the 1965 Voting Rights Act? John Lewis. And who died yet to see Republicans who you support, Alveda King, not sign and fix the Voting Rights Act after the Shelby v. Holder decision by the Supreme Court. And then, oh, Donald Trump, he wants everybody to vote absentee. Lie. Lie. And so please, stop sitting here pimping Dr. King's name in order to make white conservatives comfortable. Of course, the funeral of John Lewis was political because he was Congressman John Lewis. You can't divorce politics from politician. The root word of politician is politics. Bring them Reverend Warnock. <laughs> Doc, I... Roland Martin. Bruh, that's Let's just... have a moment of silence. Let's have a moment of silence. <laughs> that, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, they made the funeral of John Lewis political as if he wasn't a 17-term member of Congress. Surprise, surprise. We talked about civil rights at the funeral of a civil rights activist and politics uh, at the funeral of, of somebody who thought that politics ought to do the most good for the most people. And that's the work to which he was committed. Uh, we all know that uh, Donald Trump absolutely does not want everybody to turn out to vote. And he's doing everything he can to stand in the way. Uh, but we intend to beat that back. And uh, we have the spirit of John Lewis, who is now an ancestor. Uh, encouraging us on. And, and in his name, we've got to stand up in this moment. In, in this moment, He was deeply, i tell you what, he was concerned enough about these issues to print an op-ed article in the New York Times that he knew would run the day of his funeral. That ought to tell you how he thought his funeral uh, should should uh, should be presented. And that was and not, that that was not a letter that his staff submitted. He, he wrote, wrote it and said... I want this to run on the day, day of, my of my funeral. I mean, what a what an incredible gift. I mean, John Lewis, uh, what a treasure and what a gift all the way to the end. I mean, he he literally said, run this on the day of my funeral. And he left it as an amazing gift. Uh, and he gave us our marching orders that we, we ought to continue his legacy and the work of the hero of, of Bloody Sunday. And it, it would have been ridiculous for us to stand uh, on the day of his funeral and not remember him for who he was. I mean, he he was fighting for these issues until until the very last. Well, but uh, not only that, Pastor Warnock, this is the same man who refused to go to Trump's inauguration. This is the same man who led a protest on the floor of the United States House. The same man who was fighting on the issue of voting, of voting rights, the most defining issue of his career. And Alveda King, again, I'll say it. You don't have to say it. Matter of fact, I ain't even going to say it while you're on the screen because your little opponent's going to run and say he didn't correct Roland. That's, I'm going to say that. I've already said it, but I'm going to reiterate it when you've gone off. But the problem is, 
You sitting here, oh, I'm, this is the, for, for joining us now on Fox News, the niece of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Alveda King. You, in fact, if you go back and listen to the sermons, Dr. eulogies that the King gave at the funerals of Jimmy Lee Jackson and others, he got political at their funerals. He did. He did. At the, at, the, at the funeral of the, the three of the four little girls that he eulogized uh, after the 16th Street bombing. Politics killed him. Politics is a matter of life and death. And um, he spoke with that kind of urgency no matter what. Listen, we've got to stand up in honor and in memory of John Lewis, uh, who is what patriotism looks like. we got a lot of folk waving the flag and uh, masquerading as patriots. But here is a brother who really laid it all on the line. And um, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, people like, you know, John Lewis, like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, is celebrated by everybody now that he's gone. Uh, but some of the same folk who are tweeting and talking about how much they love John Lewis uh, are the very ones who are trying to block his legacy right now. As, as uh, Reverend Barber pointed out, my good friend, uh, Mitch McConnell has been holding the Voting Rights Act on his desk now for the last seven years. And he literally stood up the other day in the United States Capitol and spoke of John Lewis as a man of integrity. The pastor had to pray to, 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 to calm myself down. Mitch McConnell stood there and said that John Lewis uh, is a man of integrity, knowing that even as he's celebrating him, he's sitting on his legacy. And he doesn't want uh, what is now the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act to pass the Senate. I mean, you know what? He doesn't have to vote for it. Put it up for a vote. Right. I mean, he's he's literally blocking blocking the Senate from voting. Yep. On the law. I gotta uh, I, I, I I gotta ask you this here because so okay so Ossoff is running against Purdue, correct? That's right. John so Ossoff is running against Purdue. We got two Senate races in Georgia this year. And I'm running against Kelly Leffler, who was appointed, not elected. So, first of all, so explain, so explain to people uh, because uh, how that works out. Because all of y'all are running. So Leffler's running, uh, Collins is running, you're running. There's some other folks who are running. And so, how does it work? Whoever gets 50 plus one or the top two go to a runoff. That's right. So if somebody gets 50 percent plus one, they win on November 3rd. And I think I have a path to do that. And that's because Kelly Leffler is a, uh, the, the sitting senator appointed by the governor. She's quite unpopular uh, because we, she showed us pretty soon after she got the seat why she purchased the seat. Uh, as soon as she heard about the secret, uh, heard in private about the coronavirus pandemic, she was telling the American public nothing to worry about here. Meantime, uh, she was dumping her stock, millions of dollars, and then buying other stocks. She literally profited uh, from the pandemic, and it's hurt her badly in the polls. She's now spending millions of dollars trying to correct her image, and um, she's being challenged by another Republican, Congressman Doug Collins, and they are literally trying to see who can sound the most like Donald Trump. So while they're playing that out, uh, we'll continue to run our race. I think we can win it outright. November 3rd, we've got a ways to go, work to do. But if we don't, as you point out, the two top vote getters go to a January fifth primary. But the I thing, mean, but, but, but the, the thing is, we, we can't forget Kelly Leffler has been attacking Black Lives Matter. 
She's a co-owner of the WNBA team in Atlanta, attacking the WNBA for standing for social justice, and she just did an interview with a dude on OAN Network with ties to white supremacists. I'm speechless, sir. But you, what, what you say, that's exactly what happened. She, she literally said that Black Lives Matter is divisive. And um, um, she's really using them as a foil. She's really speaking over them in order to speak to uh, a part of their base that, that needs to hear that. Yep. And if you wondered about what she was doing, uh, she appeared this weekend uh, on a show hosted by uh, a man who's tied to white supremacy and Nazism, neo-Nazism. And but she wants to represent a, a, a Georgia, city United States Senator. Right. Wants to represent Georgia, and she she sat with him for an interview, and That's she right. because she's appealing to the racists who watch his show on that network is so far right they to the right of Fox News. They so right. they so damn far right they might come swing back around left. That, that's I how want Roland Martin unfiltered. <laughs> Watch your mouth, man. You you get out the preacher. <laughs> Look, I learned how to cuss from <laughs> preachers. <laughs> All right, Pastor Warnock, man, we appreciate it. Good luck in the race. Uh, and again, folks, you have to vote. You got to register first, then you got to right. vote. So we appreciate and, it. And you have to check to make sure you're still registered. That's Nowadays, right. You have to verify because in Georgia, a lot of states. They will purge you from the role, and you don't know it until you get there. And then I want to say to your, your folks who are not uh, from Georgia that you may not be able to vote for me, but you can give to my campaign. Please go to warnockforgeorgia.com. All right. Pastor, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Go to my panel. Amisha, uh, no, let me start with Eugene. Eugene, I don't want to hear a damn thing out of Alveda King's mouth. How stupid and dumb can you be to go on Fox News and say, oh my God, they made the funeral of John Lewis so political. And I just want to remember him as a peaceful, nonviolent warrior. Listen, so so uh, it's, it's a lot to unpack with Alvita King, and I'm going to use my words very, very carefully here. Um, carefully here, because I'm pretty sure there'll be some after discussion about what, about what I'm going to say. First of all, I was going to frame this discussion correctly. Albita King is a is someone that literally almost everything that she gets comes from the conservative movement, whether it be Fox News, whether it be appearances, whether it be Raleigh appearances, whether it be Lincoln Day Dinner appearances. That's what she does. The entire staff around her are white, particularly two white women or maybe three white women. I've engaged Albita King on a couple of different uh, occasions. Thirdly, for her use and bastardization of her uncle's name, you will never see her actually step up on a real black issue. And what I mean by real black issue, like, hey, black lives matter, not bastardized by saying black pre-born lives matter. Um, fourthly, um, you know, Alveda King, you have to keep in mind, she is a Trump surrogate. When Trump goes live for rallies, they run them through her Facebook page and through her other social accounts. She's a member of, of Black Voices for Trump. She is a full-fledged Trump surrogate, so it's just not, you know, she's doing Fox hits. I mean, she's fully all in um, when it comes to the conservative movement, more than some white conservatives. And it's because, hey, that's how she's paid. You know, they pay her for her appearances. They pay her to show up. Um, and, and it's 100% on, hey, I'm the niece of Martin Luther King. Nothing more, nothing else. Bomb line, uh, I'm going to call it out every time, Tiffany. But for anybody to say... How dare you make the funeral of John Lewis political? 
How dare you talk about civil rights? How dare you talk about voting rights? How dare you discuss human rights? So, but basically what Avita King is saying, I want to remember John as a peaceful, nonviolent warrior, but I don't want to talk about what the hell he was a warrior about. She didn't say that. Here. Now I got to be careful, too. I, I want to be very clear that there is no possible way to have a tone-deaf funeral. The, the weeks before John Lewis's transition, he was on Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, D.C. He just got finished going to the commemoration of the Edmund Pettus Bridge for Bloody Sunday. And he was talking about elections and civic engagement and voter suppression before he passed. And so there was no possible way. Yes, he was a politician. Yes, we're talking about politics. But his legacy, his honor, his um, sacrifice to our communities right. and to this country and to this world could not be ignored. So to everything that you all said, I agree. Uh, I mean, what do you what do you expect when you have a woman who is a part of uh, Black Voices for Trump and the advisory board are folks like Diamond and Silk and Herman Cain who passed away. I don't really understand but you, but you, how we even but, take this woman serious. But, but you know what? It's fine. You can be all that, Amisha, but you can't be so dumb to say, how do you politicize the funeral of a politician? He served 17 terms in Congress. What the hell else we gonna talk about? <laughs> You're 100% correct, Roland. And I think that what we've seen here is someone come out and basically toe the Trump line. Because if you were watching, Donald Trump Jr. said the same thing. A lot of Fox News parrots said the same thing. A lot of conservatives in the circle in general said the exact same thing because they were upset about the, the mainstream callouts of what we see as election fraud and electioneering and trying to steal an election, which were things that John Lewis fought against his whole life. He fought for voter access. He fought for making sure that our elections have integrity. He fought to make sure that, you know, human rights existed for everyone. It makes perfect sense that in his passing, people would honor him for the very things he devoted his entire life to, despite all of the brutality, despite the threats, despite, despite the bodily injury he endured himself to make sure that those things came to pass. And it wasn't just during the civil rights movement. And I think that one of the pastors made that very yep. clear when he was talking during the, during the funeral and the memorial, that this was something that this man did for years. We think about the bridge. We think about that. We see all those images. What they don't talk about is what he did to make sure that Head Start existed, what he did to make sure that, you know, education funding happened for a lot of schools that weren't getting it with students' bodies filled that looked just like you and I. And I think that those are issues that, you know, this man fought his entire life for. And when you get up there and you talk about those and remembering him and remembering all of the great things that he did to make sure that America lived up to its promise, right. that's not political. That's talking about this man's life. And they wouldn't have done him due service if they had ignored those things. I am sick of these people, and so is my next guest. His book is called It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. Stuart Stevens is a former Republican, well, actually, Republican strategist and current senior advisor to the anti-Trump Lincoln Project. He breaks it all down. Stuart, I'm, first of all, look, you longtime Republican. I, I, I don't know how you, you dealt with some of these people. Let me be real clear. I, I don't identify as a Democrat or Republican, but I got to call out stupid when I, see, when I hear and see stupid. And to listen to these people who drink the bath water of Donald Trump lie to our faces and then say, no, 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 
You, you, you didn't hear me lie. I'm telling the truth. No, you're a liar. To see them trash Fauci and Burks who are, who are trying to give us advice, these people are absolutely insane. Well, you know, it's like I tell my Republican friends, it's crazy to say it's Germany in 1936 when clearly it's Germany in 1938. Um, listen, man, I never thought it would happen, uh, which I think is on me. I, I thought more of these people, most of them, not Donald Trump. But, you know, I, I don't blame Donald Trump for being Donald Trump. He's always been Donald Trump. I think the guy's always been a racist. I think at fault is with the Republican Party. Um, they accepted this uh, and embraced it. And you know, I think in our system, parties should serve a circuit breaker function. And the party never pulled the circuit breaker on Trump. And a lot of people uh, continue to this day who are close to Trump in high political circles, Republican circles, they'll badmouth Trump behind his back, but they're still supporting Trump. Um, and I look, you know, I think in life, most of us certainly, I do, go through life trying to avoid moral tests. But this was a moral test we couldn't avoid, and the Republican Party just failed. Stuart, this is about one thing, and I keep telling everybody, and I've always said this, this is about power. This is about power and control and money. To hear Senator Tom Cotton say in a conference, and trust me, I think Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, my home state, is an absolute idiot. But to hear Tom Cotton say, no, let's keep running up the deficits so we can maintain power. And even Cruz goes, what the hell are you talking about? The everything. First of all, we were told that the Republican Party was about morals and values and character and the moral majority of, of Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. And then now Trump runs behind Jerry Falwell Jr. sitting here, got a pool boy down in Florida, him and his wife, and set him up in business and all that nonsense. And then they excuse all the wives and the porn stars and the cheating because they said, hey, just give us judges who, who disagree with abortion and, this, and who are against uh, 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 LGBT issues, Donald, we good. Then you got the Chamber of Commerce Republicans who like, ooh, tax cuts and deregulation, they happen. Then you got the National Defense Republicans who like billions for the defense, we all happy. Power and money, not morals. Listen, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I said, you know, I actually believe the stuff that we said that we believed. Um, personal responsibility, character counts, the deficit matters, uh, pro-legal immigration. I mean, you remember Ronald Reagan announced in front of the Statue of Liberty, signed a bill that made everybody in the country before 1983 uh, legal. Um, I believed all that stuff. And, and I feel like the guy working for Bernie Madoff who actually thought we were beating the market. I didn't understand it was just all marketing slogans. Um, and I think you're absolutely right when you say it's about power. As I've said, it's really hard to call the uh, Republican Party a political party in the sense that we've known political parties because it doesn't really stand for anything but power. It's, it's like a cartel. We, we don't ask OPEC, like, what is OPEC's higher value? OPEC exists to sell oil. The same with, like, a drug cartel. They exist to sell dope. So Republican Party exists, as far as I can tell, on the federal level. I think it's different with some of the governors, and I think there's some really good Republican governors out there. But on the federal level, it seems to exist to beat Democrats and to keep Republicans in power. But power to what purpose? I just, 
I don't get it. Um, you know, I, I had this consulting firm I started in the early 90s. We had a great record, better than anybody electing Republicans. And I left it, uh, I don't know, 14 months ago because I just couldn't keep helping elect these candidates on the federal level and then find them, get to Washington and turn around and support Donald Trump, which was against everything that at least they said that they were for. Folks talk about this issue Folks, of, of Trump, but here's, here's, a deal, here's a deal, Stuart. I, no one is showing me that if he loses in November, that they'll change. Now, that's all we keep hearing. We, first of all, we heard this whole reckoning after Mitt Romney lost in 2012, and what did we get was Donald Trump. But the reality is this here, and, and I've said this, and I don't care. There's not a single Republican who was silent during the, during, if Trump loses, if there's a single Republican who was silent or who agreed with him, they have zero credibility as far as I'm concerned. If Senator Lindsey Graham, if he gets reelected, there is nothing I want to hear from his mouth on any issue because of what he did with Trump. I, and, and I'm telling people say you shouldn't hold grudges. No, damn that. I'm holding grudges. I've got a checklist. Rubio, Cruz, Johnson, McConnell, just go down the line. These feckless, yeah. impotent individuals who stand for nothing and were unwilling to challenge this man. And Ben Sass, all of a sudden, oh, he mighty damn quiet. That's what, what's his name, the, out of Arizona, uh, who retired. I got sick and tired of all his speeches and then running around right there voting for this nonsense as well. No integrity. And then he chose not to run for re-election. I'm like Bob Corker. Don't sit here and cut and run. No. Run. Run for re-election against that man. And if you lose, you lose on principle. Well, listen, you know, that's something that baffles me about this, Roland, because you and I know a lot of politicians, and politicians tend to have big egos, which I think is fine. I mean, we haven't shot anybody all day for that. A lot of great musicians and um, athletes, uh, writers have big egos. And what I just don't understand is why they don't see how they're going to be remembered. I mean, most of these people are going to be fine financially. I, mean, I get it if you're working on the Hill and you have a family and jobs are hard to come by and maybe your person supports Trump and maybe you're stuck, but these people aren't stuck. And what I don't understand is why they can't see how they would be looked if they stood up for principle and lost. They would just be considered so much more meaningful uh, to have a career, even if that career ended. Um, you know, we always used to say, kind of joke, if you only stand for election, you don't stand for anything. And that's what I don't understand. it. Um, you know, you look at George Wallace. George Wallace actually did some good things as governor. He passed free textbooks. But nobody's remembered as the free textbook George Wallace guy. You're nope. the George Wallace guy. Nope. And I think that's how it's going to be with Trump. You're not going to be. They all sort of try to negotiate with their, their themselves and Trump. And they think that they can win. You never, you never win negotiating with Trump. It's the Faustian bargain. It's Mephistopheles, you know. The devil not only takes your soul, but he doesn't deliver. So you look at uh, McConnell, I think he likes to tell himself that Donald Trump will be remembered as his fool. I don't think it's going to work out that way. I think people are going to look at McConnell and ask what happened to McConnell. Uh, and the I, same was uh, the uh, right. Republican. And, and let me tell you some, a couple more questions I have here, and, and I get perfect example. 
I think, I think Joe Biden is going to win in November. I think he's going to be inaugurated. I don't want to hear a damn Freedom Caucus member utter the words deficit or oh, exploding man. budget. I don't, I don't want, don't even attempt to call yourselves fiscal conservatives when you said nothing. And then I, I had a Republican over the weekend criticize me or try to try, come at me on social media by saying, look at the exploding deficits under Obama. First of all, economists will tell you when you are in a major recession, you have to spend your way out of it, increase deficits. This idiot is increasing the deficit in, but before COVID, in an exploding economy. Listen, I, I agree with you completely. I think personally um, we're in for a period of center-left government ruling. Because say what you will about somebody like Elizabeth Warren, she can articulate a theory of government. You can love it, you can hate it, but you can argue with her and she'll argue back and she'll do it well. I don't know anybody with credibility that can do that on the center right now. I mean, like you say, what, we're going to say we, we care about the deficit? I mean, really? Are you kidding? Are we going to say we're going to be strong on Russia? Really? I can't imagine. And what about all this stuff that, like, Character actually counts. You know, if you look back at the stuff that a lot of people wrote, like Bill Bennett about Bill Clinton, we all said then that character defined a country, the soul of a nation, more than any one issue. Why is that all gone out the window now that it's Donald Trump? I mean, here's a guy paying off porn star that he had sex with, you know, 10 days after his youngest son was born, and he's doing it from the Oval Office. That's okay. Um, I don't get it. Um, and I think that when you look at uh, younger voters, they just find it baffling. Uh, Trump's base are non-college educated whites, which is the fastest declining large uh, demographic in the country. So, you know, I, I came across this statistic the other day, Roland, it just blew my mind. Of those who are 15 years and under in America, the majority are non-white. So the odds are pretty good that they're going to turn 18 and remain non-white. And that's going to be, I think, just a stage four cancer warning for the Republican Party unless it changes. And right now, the party gives no evidence that it wants to change. No, there, there, there's, there's no evidence. Uh, and, and, and the reality is, even when you talk about when, when Trump stands here, I, I, I had this and I had to just smack this fool this weekend. So uh, Christian Walker, the son of Herschel Walker. Uh, he tweets out this 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 deal that uh, there's some TikTok video he did with Trump. And then he says that Donald Trump has provided uh, more jobs for minorities than any other president in history. Then I'm like, no, dude, you're a liar and you're stupid because I, and, I, and I and I broke down like clearly with data that the unemployment rate. Obama went, went as high as I think it was 18.3 percent because of the because of the housing crisis what took place under Bush. Obama leaves right. it goes down to 7.7. I'm like, dude, do the math. It's a drop of 11 points. Trump comes yeah. in, gets gets yeah. uh, gets an unemployment rate of 7.7, and it goes down to 5.1, a drop of 2.6. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, 11, 2.6. I'm just saying that's bigger. And what they do is. They throw this stuff out there, and then when you respond with the actual facts, oh, you're just making it up. No, no, you're lying. They actually, the crazy thing is, black people are traditionally conservative. There are a lot of people are conservative on issues, but this party, they hit, as Howard Dean said, God gave guns. The problem is, 
The nation is shifting. And what they're also saying is, to your point, no, you actually stand for nothing and you want to screw me. And there's no, no better example than the Affordable Care Act. Trump is still saying he's going to sign a new health care bill. It doesn't no. even exist. Listen, I, I, I think that for the Republican Party to manage to get on the wrong side of a cultural war with Walmart and NASCAR, that's pretty hard to do. You know, I, I grew up in the, in the South and, and, you know, it was Mississippi. It was very moving to a lot of us that finally Mississippi took down the state flag, which basically was the Confederate battle flag. And it was so crushing to a lot of us that that same week, Donald Trump was trying to raise the Confederate flag basically over the White House, defending Confederate monuments, saying that NASCAR, you know, betrayed itself because they banned Confederate flags. I think it's it's obviously corrupt morally and terrible, but I also think just politically it's really on the wrong side. I mean, you take your average teenager, white teenager in Mississippi, I mean, they're looking more to black rap stars as cultural icons than Robert E. Lee. Well, 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 well if that's through on that point, I got to play this. I want to get your response. He's talking to Senator Jim Inhofe, who's in a restaurant in D.C., who can't hear him, puts it on speakerphone. Somebody nearby records this conversation between Trump and Inhofe talking about how he's being praised for his Confederate uh, his stands about Confederate uh, bases named after Confederate gener generals. Y'all hit play. All these divorces, all these things, that, and the fact that there is some question as to whether or not he forged it. I don't want to get into this, but uh, there is some real bad things that come out. Stuart, they want to go back to life, not this bullshit. And first of all, it wasn't it wasn't ninety five thousand retweets. He is literally saying, hey, they love that. I want to keep the name of a traitor, one of the greatest traitors against America, Robert E. Lee. He is relishing it. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the sort of time capsule that Trump is frozen in. You know, um, Steve Bannon said he was Archie Bunker, but at least Archie Bunker had meathead to try to keep him straight. Um, he doesn't have any meatheads around him. Uh, he's a guy, you know, a, a racist guy from Queens, frozen in like 1978. And that's who he's always been. And he really doesn't try to hide it anymore. Um, but again, what, what I think is the greatest fault here lies with the Republican Party. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. They, ex they accepted Trump. They haven't pushed back on this, with the exception of Mitt Romney, as any of the Republicans of note said even the words Black Lives Matter. I hadn't heard it. Um, and when Trump is out there tweeting that stuff about the suburbs, which is basically like, you know, white people should be afraid of black people moving into the suburbs. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, I, I just, listen, I, I think that's not how white suburban voters like to see themselves. They don't like to think of themselves as racist. And uh, 
it's just such a a wrong note. Um, I listen. I I hope Trump loses big. I think he needs to lose big. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd like to say that I have confidence that it'll be some reckoning for the Republican Party, but I really don't. Um, I, I think it's going to take a generation or so at least for the Republican Party to come back to some kind of sanity because, you know, history shows when this kind of hate is unleashed in a major political party. And that's really what this is. It's the legitimization of hate. It's hard to get back. Stuart, he and, can't he, he can't just lose. It has to be a complete destruction of the Republican Party in the United States Senate. I'm not talking about Democrats picking up four seats. I'm talking about Republicans losing six, eight, ten seats. I'm talking about Republicans losing in state legislatures, losing uh, governors as well. There has to be a complete destruction of all of these people. Otherwise, they're going to say, oh, it wasn't. No, we're good. Now that he's gone, we can sort of continue. No, they they have to become as, as that as that. I keep saying it from Remember the Titans. Leave no doubt. I love that. Uh, listen, I tell you, one thing that is a very troubling sign, if you look at these Republican governors in blue states who are very popular, like Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, Larry Hogan, Phil Scott in Vermont, they can't even choose their own Republican Party chairman. Those, they're Trump people. So, you know, well, the idea that a governor couldn't pick his own party chairman is just unheard of. Yep. But it just yep. shows how deep this Trumpism has gone. Um and I, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, look at the people who are thinking about running in 24. And they're all kissing up the Trump. Nobody's running as an anti-Trump. And if they did, they wouldn't have any success. So, listen, I, I'm going to support Democrats. Because I think that the big decisions in America are going to be decided in the Democratic Party. I mean, in 20 years, are we going to have national health insurance. Of course we are. We're not going to be the only country in the world that doesn't. And whether what that is going to be, I think, is going to be decided in the Democratic Party and in the internal struggles between the, the left and right, if you can call it that, within the Democratic Party. Republicans haven't even come up with the health care plan. They've had a lot of time to do it. So I, I think that the bigger questions are going to be decided by those struggles within the Democratic Party. And I'd rather be part of that than just being for the no party. Stuart Stevens, the book is, folks, go ahead and pull it up, please. It was all a lie, how the Republican Party became Donald Trump by Stuart Stevens. I certainly appreciate it, sir. Thanks a lot. Anyway, great to see you. Take care. Thank you very much. Uh, you, I want to go to our panel before I um, let them go. Eugene, just your, your thoughts on that conversation and just where uh, your party is. I mean, look, um, come January 21, actually, let's put it this way, come January 3rd, 2021, um, there's going to be a reckoning. Come January 20, 2021 at 12 noon, there's going to be another reckoning. I think Stuart's 100% correct. Um, I do think it was, it was a lot of it. It was all a lie. Um, you know, these folks, all they care about is power, but power to what? Um, and it needs to be more than just power to defeat Democrats. Um, you know, I think there are going to be a lot of losses racked up over the next two cycles. Um, and I think, you know, we'll see where the Republican Party is in four years. All right, then, uh, Amisha. Well, I don't think that the Republican Party is redeemable. 
What they have allowed Trump to do is not only lead with this pluralistic, racist tone, but also choose to basically rule by authoritarianism instead of acknowledging that this is a democracy and following our Constitution. The Republicans basically fell asleep at the wheel just because they saw wins, they saw gains, they saw funding, they saw, you know, people who were endorsed by Trump who weren't qualified to run for anything, just like he wasn't, all of a sudden take on states and become governors and become senators. And I think that they allowed such leverage by President Trump, it's going to be really hard to reel that back because the Republican Party doesn't look like itself in the, anymore. They used to uphold Reagan as the be-all to end-all. Reagan is rolling in his grave looking at what's happening to the Republican Party now. He's rolling in his grave with the fact that they are no longer this party of small government that they said that they were, that there's, um, that there's this huge funding gap. And he's watching as consistently over and over again, this party basically decide that they're going to use racism to basically guide them above all else. They're going to be isolationists. They're going to be a party that is listless without any real, with, without any real drive or determination to make America better or to make America live up to its ideals, but one that continues to isolate and one that does not acknowledge what America actually looks like. Um, like you said earlier, Roland, Coming in the next few years, we're seeing this larger amount of young people and young people that are of color. And those young people aren't going to be brought into the fold of the Republican Party. The Republican Party is largely made up of older white individuals. Guess what? In 15 to 20 years, those people won't be around anymore. There will be no Republican Party of late. So I think that they're going to have to have a real harsh reckoning with themselves because they can't keep putting up border walls anywhere and everywhere. And they can't put border walls in America to stop what we're seeing now with this growth of minority children. That is not going to change anytime too soon. The Republicans really are going to have to get a handle on what it is that they stand for, because it's not the religious right, or else Trump wouldn't have gotten where he is. And it's definitely not the future of America. Tiffany. No, I mean, that's a great baton to pass it to me. Thanks, Amisha. I'm, you're absolutely right. Like, this, the passing the baton. Um, America is not going to look anything like what it looks like right now in the next couple of years. Again, attributing it to the young, incredible leaders that I have the pleasure of working with, the movement that we see in 2020. But I want to also be very clear, and this might be non-conventional for your show. I'm not really sure if we've talked about this yet, Roland, but I'm not even a big fan of the two-party system as it exists already anyway. So this entire democracy conversation we've been having to make sure that folks have the right to cast their vote. Congressman John Lewis, he said it himself. This is the only nonviolent tactic that we have right now that we're able to use to make a difference. And although voting is necessary, it is not sufficient. There are so many other things that we need to continue to do. And that also includes talking about what the future of this country is going to look like. I'm having conversations with my folks to ask them, what is the agenda that you want to move? Republican Party is going to do what it's going to do. Democratic Party is going to do what it's going to do. What is it that you want to move? How do we make our communities better? And if we don't do that right now, over the next 92 days, between now and the general election in November, we're going to continue to see that pushback and those walls go up. And I want to make sure that the young people coming after us don't have to fight the same fights that we've been having to fight or the fights that I've had to fight in the last 12 years that I've been organizing. Well, then that's why Dr. Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Barber talks about you got to focus on what your issues are as opposed to getting caught up in Republican Democratic Party. Final final, final topic for y'all. Uh, y'all gonna really love this one. I, I, I really enjoy... Uh, uh, stuck on stupid people. I, I really enjoy that. And, and I love it when somebody likes to play, uh, try to play gotcha. 
So, so check this out. So some, some person on Twitter with this fake news service uh, said Roland Martin was on Clubhouse and he was talking about how uh, he went after uh, Khalid Muhammad uh, back when he was doing a story on him and, and how he sat here and, and cursed him out and said, man, I don't care about you, Farrakhan, bow ties wearing, all this sort of stuff. And the person tweeted me and I said, y'all do know I've told that story many times. You know, I've, I even told the story on the air. And they were like, I can't believe you said that. So then somebody just put on my Instagram, yeah, so-and-so is talking about it right now. I said, see, that's what I love. Somebody who wasn't even there talking about it. And the reason I find that to be interesting because I'm a journalist. And there are times when you got to let folk know, don't come at me like that. Because I'm going to come at you. And so what's real interesting is that when Khalid Muhammad, and the reason I thought I, I should have asked Freddie Haynes about this here, because what they didn't realize is uh, Khalid Muhammad was supposed to speak in Dallas at Freddie Haynes' church. Freddie was on vacation like he is now. The deacons rescinded the invitation. Khalid came to the church that Sunday. It's supposed to be this whole showdown. Freddie flew back from vacation I was there covering the story. So for all you other folk who just wah, 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 wah uh, on social media, yeah, I was there. They had a long meeting. And so then when he came to Fort Worth, I was writing this story on him because he was from Houston. Went to Wheatley High School, which is a competitor of my high school, Yates. And so what happened was he, he got indignant with my questions because I was sitting, this was after his whole uh, 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 King College speech. And I said, look, man. I said, you ain't got to answer my question, but these folks over here got you looking like a devil. I'm trying to sit here and do a story and understand I'm the only black male reporter in this whole newsroom. Now, did I cuss him out? Yeah, I cussed him out. I damn sure did. Because, see, let me explain to all y'all people who out there smacking your gums. See, you ain't never had to sit in this seat when somebody wants to challenge you, when they want to come at you. So... When somebody come at you, you got to go there and come back at them. But 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 but, but let, let me give y'all let me give y'all this here because they this somebody said well Roland uh, you cussed too much on the show and was I cussing at Kyle Muhammad? Sure did. But for all y'all out of here smacking y'all gums, here's what y'all don't realize. From that moment forward, I had Kyle Muhammad's respect, and he respected me. From that moment forward. When he talked to the Fort Worth study group, when he talked to the Nation of Islam chapter in Dallas, Jeffrey Muhammad, when he talked, when he left the Nation of Islam, and see, let me let me also help y'all out, okay? Because after he spoke at the National at the Black Academy of Arts and Letters in Dallas, I covered his speech. He then went to a home of L, uh, Joy Strickland, where they had a reception for him afterwards. I was at the house. Who talked to him at the house? I did. See, that's what I'm saying. Y'all don't know nothing. And when Khalid Muhammad was in Jasper, Texas, there for the rally after, uh, after uh, uh, the murder of James Byrd, who did a cover story on him for, on, on the Dallas Weekly? Who shot the photo? Who did the interview? Me. So, see, y'all revisionist fools who want to sit here and act like y'all think y'all, quote, uh, got me in a gotcha moment. You can't get me in. A, you can't get me because you ain't got nothing. But this is what happens when you got new fools who think they know, who don't know nothing. And so, yeah, we went at it. That ain't no different than when I went to Chicago. 
And there were folks who were protesting me in Chicago because how dare I come in and make changes to the Chicago Defender. And I said, what the hell y'all talking about? Y'all been broke for 20 years. So maybe they hired me to make some money for this newspaper. See, Tiffany, you might understand this. When people think they can try you, you got to let them know you can't try me. You got to give them an example, let them know. And, and after it was all done, he, he respected me. And here's the other piece, and I'm going to let y'all comment on this here. To the rest of y'all, bump of your gums, to the moment Khalid Muhammad died, he told his people, whenever he called, put his call through. That's what happens when you got to go there with some folk and to get their respect. You got to let them know so they don't try you. That's and it. set an example out of people. I understand. That's it. So, I mean, we all got to go there. Amisha, I'm sure you've had to have some words with some folk on the Democratic side. I'm sure Eugene, you've had to go there as well. But I needed him. And then people like, ooh, you distant in eye. Because I said, man, I said, these folk ain't caring about no Farrakhan, no bean pies, no bow ties. I, you damn right I said that. I needed him to understand, man, you ain't going to challenge me like this. Oh, and by the way, I also challenged Skip Gates the same way when he spoke at Texas A&M University and I interviewed him in the College Station Hilton and he didn't particularly like my questions. I did the exact same thing, turned a record off and said, now let's go off the record and jammed him up too. Go, go, Misha, go ahead. I thought they knew better than to come for you. Just they saying. Didn't check the receipts. Just saying. Just, just saying. So for all y'all fools who out there saying, oh, that was this private conversation on the Clubhouse app that somebody recorded and Roland Martin said all this, yeah, I said it. Don't think it was private. I done said it before and it actually happened. Go ahead, final comment, Eugene. Look, sometimes it's what sometimes what is required. You know, I believe you know you can, it's, you can be it's a handshake or a few, whatever gets the job done. Absolutely, and and, and let me just, I'm just gonna leave it on this one, for all y'all wannabes out there, who are like, man, you diss the NOI and you diss Farrakhan. Can y'all call him at this, at this house in Chicago? Can y'all call him at his estate in Michigan? Can y'all call his son Mustafa? Can y'all people like this? Can, can y'all call Ishmael Muhammad? Can y'all call his son-in-law Leonard Muhammad? Can y'all call Akbar Muhammad? Can y'all call Robert Muhammad, of course, over the Southwest region? Don't try me. Sit your ass down. I'm a real journalist. The rest of y'all are fake. That's why this says support black journalists. I'm a journalist. I got the contacts. I can make the phone call. All y'all do is smack your mouth on social media. I'm done with that topic. Amisha, Tiffany, Eugene, always a pleasure. Up next, this sister, amazing singer. Video goes viral. We're going to talk with her next. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? 
youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, y'all, so over the weekend, I'm sitting home, y'all, Saturday, and this brother posted this two-minute and 20-second video. I said, yo, I got to find this full video. Who is this sister? And I sent a text message out to Pastor John P. Key. He said, Roland, she sing with me. Man, I put that thing on my Instagram page. It's got more than 150,000 views. I put it on Facebook. It's got more than a half million views. Woo, y'all, check out what I listened to the whole weekend.
that sister, Kristen Jameson. Kristen, what's happening? What's going on, Mr. Rowland? I'm all good. First of all, uh, help these people. That funeral wasn't last week. No, it was over two years ago. So this was BC before Corona, people. So you can relax. Uh, <laughs> that's why you don't see any masks. Now, now, first of all, what what happened there? Uh, was it someone you knew? Because uh, you, you, you just opened they, the door, open, and you just came through. <laughs> Well, actually, I work with a funeral home um, in Columbia, South Carolina. Shout out to J.B. Holly Funeral Home. And they hire me in to do something they call the family tribute, which is they do. Um, they use my presentation and that of a trombonist to kind of bring joy to the family while they're grieving. So, um, you know, in great black black family functions, you know, that's that's how we do things. Music allows us to hear. Right, right. So she saw me at another service, the granddaughter of the deceased, who's the one who took the video, um, saw me sing at another service as a part of another family tribute. And uh, when her grandfather passed, who was Mr. Sonny Mitchell, who was a very um, popular local musician. So she wanted it to be a very musical homegoing service. So she said, I want you to sing the exact same song and I want you to wear the exact same outfit and I want you to come in the exact same way that you did at the other funeral. So I said, <laughs> okay. So I told the ushers, I said, um, they kept asking me, you want to come in? You want to come in? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I just need you to open the doors when I ask you to open the doors. So the pretty much the rest is history. And a day that I, I think I had the flu that day, actually. Wow, you had you saying that way it was the flu? Yes. <laughs> I was sick as a dog that day. Now, now folks, yeah. uh, folks don't realize uh, I mean you you've been singing for a long time. Uh and also over the weekend, people were talking about, yeah, she, we saw her on Sunday best uh, as well. Uh and so uh surely you had to you, know, you had to go, yo, somebody picked that video up and that thing just boomeranged. I'm telling you, it, this this is amazing, and I'm very grateful to you, Mr. Roland um, Martin, and to the young man who who posted it mm -hmm. on Twitter, who hit me up in my inbox and said, "Hey, I posted your video. Um, I couldn't find your Twitter name. What's your Twitter name?" So I just gave it to him. I was just like, you know, as always, you know, appreciative of people sharing that are blessed by the video, and I'm noticing I'm like my alerts are going off. Uh, Everything is just going, my notifications are going crazy. I'm like, what is going on? So the video has now gone viral again. So I think this is maybe like the third or fourth time that the video has gone viral. So collectively, it may have about 6 million views. Wow, wow. And so <laughs> so I, I sent it to a bunch of people. Tyler Perry, I sent it to John P. Key. John was like, Ro, John said, Ro, Ro, she sing with me. <laughs> Yes, I've been blessed to to, uh, to travel. I call him Uncle Pastor to travel with um, John Piquet as a part of New Life. Wow, well that is like I say, uh, folks picked up on. So, uh, so are, are you singing part of the group? Do you sing uh, solo? Do you have work sing, folks can I get so what? Um, I am actually working on a project, um, it's a very special project that is to me. Next year, I'll be turning 40. So um, I will be doing a special album. It's called The Live Experience, Kristen Jameson Live. Um, I consider myself to be a gospel singer, but I'm a soul singer. So I sing music that reaches the souls of people. Um, and I was telling someone on a broadcast, because I also do um, radio 
um, the gospel with Kristen Jamison on WSSB radio in South Carolina, where I share inspiration and information. So uh, my job is to bring joy to people. And as my name is Kristen Joyanne Jamison, my name means anointed to bring joy. So I'm just trying to do what my name is, what my mom and daddy named me. <laughs> well, that is, I mean, you certainly brought, like, I'm telling you, I listened to the whole weekend. I was like, and then of oh, course, and, and, and folks, don't re folks don't realize that, it was so funny too, because I go online and I realize that you follow me and then LaShawn Pace actually uh, sang that song, uh, and yes, she followed the originator of that song, right? And she followed me, followed me as well. And it was, but again, people were just, it was, it was, it was amazing because it just touched people in a very unique way. And it was like, look, what was funny, they trying to hang you the microphone, you're like, I don't need that, right? I was like, you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I, I, I don't need that microphone. <laughs> I don't want to be rude, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be rude, you know, in the black church, you, 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 right. you have a certain decorum. So you you have to you have to have your mind your manners. So you take the microphone, they hand you the microphone. But sir, I really didn't need it. I, I have a big enough voice. <laughs> there you go. Well, look, absolutely great work. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on it, and good luck in all that you do. Where, where can people follow you? Get more information. Where can they do it? Absolutely. Well, you can find all things Kristen Jameson at www.kristenjameson.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-J-A-M-I-S-O-N. Shout out to my husband who gave me that name who's watching right now. Um, <laughs> you can also follow me on social media at Kristen Jameson. I am on Instagram at um, I am Kristen Jameson and also the gospel with KJ. So you can follow me anywhere. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at The Gospel with KJ. And I just want to take a moment just to say thank you to you, uh, Mr. Martin, to all of your followers. I was just reading some of the comments of the people that were posting under the video. Um, they tell you a lot of times as artists don't read the comments, but I like to to know how the how it has touched people. And the thing that touched me was that there was an atheist that watched the video and said that I want, I'm an atheist, but I want this young lady to sing over me. Wow. And that means, that means something to me. There was a, a young lady said, well, I'm an old Jewish woman and this touched me and I want her to sing, you know, for me. You know, somebody said, I haven't been to church in a while. This makes me want to go back to church. So I, I feel like I've, I've, I've done a, a part of my job. <laughs> All right, then. Well, look, congratulations and good luck with everything in the Thank future. Thank you. All right, then. Thank you. All right, you take care. All righty, bye-bye. All right, thanks a bunch. All right, y'all. Uh, it's time for us to go. You, you know what? I, you know what? I, it was so funny, y'all. Remember, I was just first of all, I, it was good that we had to have Kristen follow because after I had to uh, slay the mother fools who were all upset, uh, told me with my Khalid Muhammad comments. And and, and so, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm end the show uh, on this. I'm gonna end the show on this, and this is this is really important. This is really important, and that is this here. One of the fundamental problems that we're facing in this country, especially in black media, is that we don't actually have black media, people who are journalists. See, there are a lot of people out here with YouTube shows, who are on Instagram, who are on Facebook, who are on Twitter. They're not journalists. They don't have integrity. They don't actually report anything. They don't actually make phone calls. They do none of that. See, when I was sitting here talking about, when I was talking about uh, how I can pick that phone up and I can call, I, I can call 
Remember the Nation of Islam? Y- y'all were here. When Farrakhan got banned, I think it was on Facebook, Gre- Greg Carr was on this panel. And he saw me doing the break calling members of the NOI to get Minister Farrakhan on. In fact, before Minister Farrakhan spoke um, um, a few weeks ago, I actually called him and talked to him off air about coming on. See, that reminds me of when the late George Curry wrote a cover story on Khaled Muhammad. And we went to the meeting in Houston, the planning for the Million Man March. And Malik Zulu Shabazz, I know Malik very well. Um, Malik was, did not like George's story. And George said, but the minister did, so I don't give a F what you think. And George walked off. Now, that actually happened. And George was like that. But it's not just that. It's stories dealing with the Congressional Black Caucus. Do y'all understand that I've read some black media outlets and I've seen these stories and all they did was rewrite what somebody else wrote and didn't even bother to call the CBC member themselves? Women's March. The Washington Post did a story and they said that Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsour and Bob Land were run out and fired from the Women's March. And other black media outlets rewrote what the Washington Post wrote. Well, first of all, I knew the truth. Their terms were actually up on the board. They could only serve a certain number of years. And so the term was up, so therefore they they, they couldn't run again. They left, which is why Tamika and Linda went and formed the group Until Freedom. Why am I unpacking all of this? It's because, see, I I need y'all to learn something. Because many of y'all know this. Y'all need to learn that everybody out here who says they're media, they ain't journalists. Everybody out here who claims that they are journalists, they're not. Because, see, for many of these folk, I've never seen them at the major black events. I've never seen them out on the streets. I've never seen them talking to people. And there's no greater time. See, we grew up having Jet and having Ebony and having black newspapers and black radio stations. But we now have entered into a space where we don't actually see that. We're entering into a space where black cable networks barely cover the news. Thankfully, most of them uh, showed the funeral of Congress and John Lewis only because he was such, such an iconic figure. But it's a whole bunch of other folk they don't even show. They don't even stream on their channels. I'm saying that because, you see, I'm resisting calling certain folks' name because, see, that's actually giving them more attention and free publicity than they deserve. And so I love it when somebody says, well, uh, so-and-so talking about you. I don't care what she's saying. I don't care what he's saying because don't nobody know them or respect them because they're not real. See, just because somebody can go live on YouTube or Facebook and Periscope don't mean they're actually practicing journalism. Find out how many guests they have on. Find out how many issues that they cover. I am saying that because we in black America, we are facing a reckoning ourselves. 
And that is our black media institutions are falling by the wayside. Ebony is about to go through involuntary bankruptcy this week. There's a hearing that's taking place on Thursday. Jet no longer exists. Uh, black Enterprise not printing magazines. Essence uh, is still there, but really in terms of what are the substantive pieces there? I'm saying all of this right now because there's a reason why you don't see me spending an inordinate amount of time on this show talking about who got divorced and who somebody is marrying and then who just had a baby and who's sleeping with who and who's marrying who and who's now dating who because that stuff don't matter. What we are facing is a need for black folks to have quality news and information. And y'all have shown why that matters. We launched this show with 150,000 YouTube, well, actually about 125, 150,000 YouTube subscribers on September 4th, 2008, 2018. And here we are 23 months later, and we are about to knock on the door of 600,000 YouTube subscribers. 2.7 million social media followers. Last month, 16.9 million views on YouTube. Uh, on Facebook, 12 million views. That means when we launched this show, our total number of views was 9.3 million, yet here we stand later with 30 million because this is what happens when you provide folk with real information. And see, to all my haters who just bump their guns and run their mouths, please keep doing it because all you are doing is giving Roland Martin unfiltered more attention and more free publicity. And so if folk want to come see some real journalism, some real black news, where we are not sitting out, sitting around talking about entertainment and then talking about what other folks wrote or said, y'all come here five nights a week. Cause we here Monday through Friday live, two hours a night. And we stream stuff on Saturday and Sunday because we care enough about black people that we don't spend our time on messiness and gossip. We focus on the people. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Holla! BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you dare. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.